Okay, so I suppose we should get to the business at hand here. Um, I want to talk to you tonight. It, it's a little different. It's just kind of a one-off. I know Corey did a one-off last week. Uh, it's, it's not a series, so this is... We're going to go through an entire book of the Bible tonight. Is everybody ready? It's only the book of Jonah. It's just four chapters. But here's why I want to do it, because I actually really like this book, and God, every time I read it, he shows me stuff out of it, and even getting ready for this, even as late as yesterday, he's still showing me new things. Um, but really, it's, uh, we're going to take a look at it, because what, what do we know about Jonah? What is, what is I mean, an anyway, just shout out. What do you know about Jonah? Fish. It was a whale. Find that in Matthew. Uh, what else do we know about Jonah? Gourd. Okay. What else? Anybody besides kale? N any, anybody who's not an adult? There is a veggie dust. Okay. So that's why I want to take a look at Jonah. Because <laughs> everybody knows a whale. Jonah got swallowed by the whale, and apparently he, like, camped out in there and had a little fire or something, too, if you believe the philanographs or whatever. Um, but that's all a lot of people know, but it's a really cool story. Uh, so I need to start by giving you just a little background. Um, the book of Jonah, it, it's a different book in the Bible. It's not entirely, you know, you, well, every book's unique because it's what God wants to be where he wants to be it, or wants it to be. Um, but the book of Jonah is different. It's, it's really about the messenger more than the message. Um, and th and it d the book itself does not provide a direct date for its narrative. However, if we look in 2 Kings, Jonah is listed as the son of Amittai under the reign of the second king Jeroboam. And that's in 2 Kings 14.25. It says, He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet which was in uh, a city. I was practicing how to pronounce it, and I still can't get it right, so it's, it's on the screen. You pronounce it in your head. Um, so all that to say, that, that's, that's kind of given us some background of Jonah's family and maybe where he is. So using that, using Jeroboam II as a guy, the events that we're going to talk about, they take place sometime between 782 B.C. and 753 B.C., and it's likely that this book was actually written about the same time. <coughs> And it tells the story of its namesake, Jonah, and God's mission, and God's mission for him to travel to a city called Nineveh. Sorry, it's easier when you participate. It, ma it makes it easier for me. So we're going we're gonna to look first, um, and actually, if you want, go ahead and turn to Jonah. I should have said this first. We're going we're gonna to look at a lot of that, so I promise if you just go ahead and turn your Bible or your app or your phone or whatever there, you can just leave it there. There will be a few other things, but I'll just read them, but that way we can read together. Because really, I I don't want to I don't want to impress you with my vocal oratory skills because I really don't have them. I just want you to hear what God has to say tonight because that's that's ultimately what God wants. So let's do that. So we're gonna look at God's calling to Jonah, Nineveh. It was a wicked city that needed to repent, and Jonah was God's chosen person to deliver this message. So we're gonna start chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So, that's cl a clear-cut commission from God. I mean, how many times have we, you know, I've prayed it, I'm sure you've prayed it, God, what do you want me to do? Well, here, God is auditory telling him, 
go tell Nineveh, that wicked city, to repent. So let's take a look at Jonah's response to, to God. Um, I'll give you, a, give you the blank so you can concentrate. Disobedience. Okay, this is Jonah's response to God. And we find that we're going to continue in verse 3 here. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it to go, sorry, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah boarded a ship headed in the opposite direction. And we should have a map. So just if you're like me and didn't know where these things were, eventually this is the Mediterranean Sea here, and that's Spain over there. And this is like modern-day Iraq, Syria. Uh, I think Turkey's in there somewhere too. So he started out at Joppa. And what, what, where did God tell him to go? He told him to go that way, right? Where did he go? That way. So what was Jonah's response? It was, it was just disobedi- disobedience. He did not want to follow God's clear commission for him. <coughs> so here's the thing. Bad things happen when you don't follow directions, right? Whether it's the directions that came with that piece of furniture, uh, what your parents tell you to do, or especially in this case, what God tells you to do. Too many times, whether we, we do this consciously or unconsciously, we think somehow that our disobedience or our lack of obedience to God is going to somehow change his mind. Like our rebellion is going to make him just give up and say, well, eh, never mind. I mean, God gave him a commission. God wanted him to do something. God wanted something done. And running away was not going to accomplish that. And God wasn't going to go, well, never mind. So it's just simply not the case. So let's, let's look at the result. It was the resulting storm. We're going to pick back up in verse 4 here. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was likely to be broken. So break apart and sink here. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. So it's that bad that they're afraid the ship is going to break and sink, and the things that they were transporting, the, the important cargo, they're throwing it over. So this is a life-or-death situation. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, capital G. If, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. So while Jonah's fleeing aboard the ship, this ship, a storm arises and threatens everything. You know, this is the resulting storm of from his disobedience. And then we're, we're going to keep going here in chapter or, uh, chapter one, verse seven. The crew casts is going to cast lots to determine who brought this storm upon them, and the lot's going to reveal that it was Jonah, and he's going to confess that his disobedience is the cause of the storm. So picking back up in verse seven, and they. S- And they said, every one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So that so they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. Big surprise there. Then they said unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation and whence comest thou? And what is thy country and of what people art thou? So in case maybe maybe you're new to this, maybe you're not familiar, casting lots. We really don't know exactly what the lots were looked at and stuff like that, but you, you could kind of, it's, it's almost akin to flipping a coin to try and make a decision because these people back then, 
they didn't have the complete canon of Scripture, so they couldn't, all, they couldn't go strictly to the Bible to figure out what to do. That's why we don't need to do this kind of stuff today. Like you can, if you want to figure out whether you're in obedience to God's word or something, just read it because you got it. You got all of it, okay? But that's basically they're almost flipping the coin. You can think of it like that. So let's, uh, let's pick up in verse 11 here. Then they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm to us? And the sea was wroth and was tempestuous. And they said unto him, and it said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon us. So to calm the storm and save the ship, Jonah's telling them, Hey, just throw me overboard. You know, I'm the problem. Get rid of me and you'll be fine. So, but did you notice what Jonah did not do? in all of this that's not recorded, he didn't pray. He just gave up. It's like, well, just throw me over so I can die, you know, whatever. Then I won't be your problem. You know, how, how true is that? You know, we're going to get into kind of a personal application in a minute. But how true is that sometimes of our lives? How many times do we just kind of give up and, like, we got all these things going on and really all we need to do is pray and God will show us what it is we're supposed to do, but we don't do that. And then we make stupid decisions like, well, I guess I'll just die. I might die, so I'll just die. And that doesn't make any sense. Um, but God is powerful enough to get the, glory, get the glory regardless of our failures because it's not about us, it's about him. Even through his disobedience, God is still going to use Jonah in mighty ways. He's still going to display his power through him. The other men, they're right now afraid for their life. And, and we didn't read it earlier because I skipped a verse. Um, but if you read, they're praying to their gods, little g, um, but by the end of this storm, his witness, God's witness through him is already going to be leading people to God. So let's pick, pick back up in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it unto land, but they could not, for the sea was wroth and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O God, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us the innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, has done as it pleased. And so they, they took up Jonah, and they cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging, just like that. As soon as they threw him overboard, it's fine. You know why it was fine? Because this is the beginning of Jonah getting back on track here. So the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. So right there, these mariners on the ship already, even though Jonah's being disobedient, God is still getting the glory. It would have been a lot easier because Jonah just would have done what he was told. Now he's getting thrown off a ship, and we're going to see what comes next, although everybody knows one thing about the book of Jonah. There's a whale, right? So once Jonah was in the sea, he was swallowed up by a great fish that the Lord had prepared. 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So God is in charge. He's always working. He's always got a plan. And if you try to run away from it, he might send a great fish your way. Okay? He sent he prepared the great It wasn't a random great fish. It was a fish that he prepared. So, now I want to talk to you about Jonah's second chance because he's been thrown off the ship and now this fish is going to take him where he actually needed to go. And we're going to go over to chapter 2 verse 10. So I'll give you a second to flip the page over. <coughs> Okay, verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah unto the dry land. So, 
how do you like that? That's not, certainly not first class. An airplane would be better, but I guess you can travel by fish bellies. So once on land, Jonah was again given a commission, actually the same commission by God to preach to Nineveh their need to repent. And we're going to go to next chapter here, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So, hey, Jonah, I'm going to hand deliver you here. Here's your second chance. What are you going to do with it? Well, this time he obeys. Now, let's check that out. Uh, skip down to verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them unto the least of them. So everybody. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he had laid his robe from him. And he covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? So this is an awesome thing. God gives Jonah a second chance Jonah does what God told him to do the first and second time. And then we find obedience to God leads to deliverance. Because Jonah preached God's message and the people heard God's words and repented, it, they were spared. God did not destroy the city. And we find that in chapter 3, verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. So here's the interesting thing. Let's see what happens after this. I mean, this is great, because we're going to find out in a minute here, okay? But there's 120,000 people in this city. Wouldn't it be cool to lead 120,000 people from destruction unto God? I mean, I can't imagine doing that in the span of like a couple days, too. So uh, we're going to go to chapter 4, verse 1 now. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful God, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, I beseech thee, my life, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So here we go with Jonah just wanting to give up and die again. I mean, what the heck's going on? He just did what God told him to do. The whole city gets saved. And now he's exceedingly angry. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? So let's, let's see Jonah's heart revealed here. First of all, we need, we need to do a little extra study here. I had to look this up. Why did Jonah flee? That's probably the question you're asking yourself. Did he just decide, no, I don't want to do that, God? No, he had his reasons. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, and at that time, Assyria was a warmongering nation who had committed many atrocities. It's entirely reasonable to consider Jonah fled <coughs> because he wanted Assyria to not repent and to be destroyed. 
because Assyria was busy conquering other city-states and nations, and he knew it was probably only a matter of time before they'd set their sights on Israel. So he was basically trying to save his homeland, and he wanted God to destroy Nineveh. Jonah knew well enough the omnipresence of God, and he knew that he could not escape, escape from him, but he was willing to suffer the consequences, apparently, of disobedience to try to get his own way over God's way. So that's why Jonah fled. That's why he's exceedingly angry. He's so, he's so messed up in the head right now. He's so apart from the will of God that even though the entire, got s- the entire city got saved because he did what God told him to do, he's exceedingly angry. So at this point, we're going to go to verse 5 here. And so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. So here he is. The whole city got saved. God said, no, I'm not going to do it. But Jonah's still going to go up on the outside of the city and just kind of have a have a sit and, and take a look and maybe just hope that fire and brimstone might still come down and destroy the city. Like maybe, just maybe. Um, but it didn't happen. So while Jonah's watching it, there's, there's a few things while he's sitting up here that are going to happen. So let's keep going in verse 6 here. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, just like he prepared the fish. And he made it come up over Jonah that he might be a shadow, o- or that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So, G- so Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm. See, God prepares a lot of things because he's got a plan and he's working. It's up to us whether we're going to join him or not, or whether we're going to try to flee to Tarsus. But God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, that it withered. So God made a gourd to give him shade, to make him comfortable, and now God's taken away the gourd. The loss of the gourd and the hot weather combined for Jonah to state that it would be better for him to just die. You see this reoccurring theme here? So let's look at verse 8 here. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind. God prepares again, because he's always working. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said unto Jonah, Dost thou well be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. So God's going to show, God's doing this for a reason here. And this is something that if we just read through it real fast, sometimes we miss. But God's doing all this stuff for a reason. And let's pick up in verse 10. Then said the Lord God, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, and neither madest it grow, which came up in, the, in a night and perished in a night. And what God's trying to do here is show Jonah that he has more care and concern for this gourd than for this whole city of 120,000 people. So, verse 11, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein there are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. There you go. That's the end of the book of Jonah. It just ends on a question like that. Um, it may seem abrupt, because it, it kind of is, but the purpose of the book of Jonah is not to tell us this story about a man and a whale. Okay. Instead, we are told the story of this man and Nineveh because what it reveals to us of God. And what it reveals is, is there can be a difference between our will and God's will. And when you get way outside of that, you get really messed up, and then you do things like you just want to die and all those things. So it's revealing to us that there are, there are differences, there are natural differences if we try to do our own thing 
that lead to storms and lead to bad things. So why should we even study the book of Jonah? So we can see how our will lines up with God's will. It's, it's not just Jonah, a whale, God, and some messed up situation. It's a book about Jonah's response to God, which asks the question, what is our response to God? So I have a question for you. Do you choose obedience to God's will? It's a choice we have to make. And the thing is, it's not just a one-time choice. You have to decide daily. And if you want, you can turn to Luke real quick. If you're a fast flipper here. Luke chapter 9, I'm going to do verse 23 here. All right, this is a choice we have to make daily. And this is Jesus talking. And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Not quarterly, not yearly, not once in a lifetime. Daily. It's a choice we have to make to be obedient to God's will. Because Romans 6, 16, I'll just read it. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So you're going to serve whatever it is that you yield to, whatever you choose to be obedient to, that's what you're going to serve. And by the way, sin is unto death. Obedience to God is unto righteousness. So let's talk about the discernment of storms while we're talking about these decisions. Because the thing with storms is, you know, we all experience them, right? Have you ever gone through a storm in your life? I don't think anyone in here is that lucky that they never experienced that. Could it be possible that that storm or maybe a storm you're going through right now is because of disobedience or because he was saying no to God? You know, Jonah fled. Boom, storm, terrible storm. Jonah was angry and pouting outside the city. Boom, another storm, a vehement wind, so much that he fainted. You know, we often, we often have some idealistic picture of this whole Jonah and the whale thing, but I mean, these, these were bad storms. These were life-threatening situations that he was in as a result of his disobedience. <coughs> we didn't really have time to read it, but, you know, I say go ahead and read the whole book of Jonah. It's four chapters. It, it doesn't take very long at all. But chapter 2, I mean, that kind of describes Jonah's experience in this whale, and it was not pleasant. And, and dare I say, based on, on chapter 2, he died in that whale. So this, w this wasn't the, the flannel graph camping trip thing where he's all, you know, on a recliner or something and just waiting till he gets there, you know, got a little pond to swim in next to the tongue. No, I mean, this is terrible. So God takes, and, and the reason that was is God takes his will seriously, and if, and if we don't, look out, because there might be a whale headed our way, or a vehement east wind, or something like that. So, you know, disobedience causes storms, no doubt. Now, that being said, there might be other storms you go through in life, and it's not always from disobedience. This is the discernment of storms here. But sometimes God will use storms to grow us. You know, it certainly grew those people around Jonah after they were, you know, after he was done putting them in danger. I mean, those, those mariners on that boat, you know, they came to God after that. So let's look at another example in Mark 4. We're going to start in verse 37 here. And this is Jesus, you know, he tells the disciples to go over to the other side of the sea, and then a storm comes up. They were being obedient. They were doing what God told them to do. So starting in verse 37 here. <coughs> and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, this is Jesus, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him, and said unto him, Master, carest, not, carest thou not that we perish? 
And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So as soon as Jesus said it, calm, just like Jonah getting thrown off the boat. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Have you ever tried to tell the wind to be, wind to be calm? Yeah, of course not, because you know it won't work. If you did, okay, great, good. Um, you know, instead of giving, instead of giving in and wanting to die like Jonah, you know, these disciples who witnessed this, this storm, put them in peril, even though they were in obedience to God's word, it was an opportunity God used to grow them. So the storm wasn't their fault, but the result was growth. You know, unlike oftentimes storms of disobedience are just a storm of consequence. But the disciples increased in their faith as a result of that. So no one is exempt from storms in life. But just as, as the disciples who initially feared the storm, and they later came to revere Christ more. So the storms we face can bring us closer to God, closer to God's will, closer to a knowledge of him. Because sometimes when you have nothing left, that's when you, you know, you've got nothing left. Except God, because he'll always be there, right? While we may not understand why God allows these storms to enter our life, we should thank him through them so we can, we can come to know who he is and we can live to serve him because he has preserved our life, just like he did the disciples, just like he did the mariners on that ship. So if you're facing a, uh, facing a storm right now, this is the practical advice part of it, you know, the first thing you need to do is figure out, well, why am I facing this storm? Because if it's because of disobedience, then you need to be obedient to stop the storm. Because when the storm stopped, it was when Jonah got thrown overboard because there's a fish there to take him and get him where he's supposed to be. Or if it's just a trial to grow, well, start asking God, okay, what are you trying to show me? And then have faith through that, just like those disciples did. Because our circumstances will constantly change. The storms will constantly change. But there's always the choice, obedience or disobedience. So I have another practical question for you. What is your Nineveh? What is God calling you to do that you keep saying no to? Maybe you flat out say no, or maybe you just don't do it. Who knows? But what is God calling you to do that you keep saying no to? God could be calling you to do a number of things, and I can't possibly do them all. I can't, I can't even fathom to try to figure out everything that God would be telling everybody in this room to do. So I'm just going to pick one or two. One Nineveh for all of us is the ministry of reconciliation. And you find that in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who he hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So that's something we're all supposed to be doing. And just in case you're not sure what I mean by the ministry of reconciliation, by Jesus Christ, you are reconciled to God. You are made right with God. Like when you reconcile your checkbook, you make, it, you make everything all right so it matches. You are reconciled by God. You are, you are back with him. You are made right with him. So he'll do that for you, and then he tells you, hey, you've got the same ministry. You've got to go out and tell other people so, I, so they can be reconciled with me. Because here's the thing. God is not willing that any should perish, as we saw in Nineveh, right? So are you willing to, that anyone should perish? 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to, to, to usward, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So all should be reconciled. So I got to ask you, what about that kid? What about that kid? And I could throw out a bunch of cliche phrases about the kid who sits alone and wants all that stuff, but I'll just be frank with you. When I say, what about that kid? If somebody popped into your head, I think there's a really good chance that God's talking to you right now. You know, wherever you see him, her, whoever, whatever your relationship or lack of relationship with them is, whatever their social status is, whatever yours is. I mean, if, if somebody's popping into your head right now, I, I'm going to I'm going to venture to say that that's God talking to you. Don't be a Jonah. Don't decide that it would cost you too much. Or it'd be better if you just didn't share, if you didn't seek reconciliation for them. Don't, you know, it'd be better if you just didn't seek that, if you didn't share with them the love of Christ. Jonah decided it would be better for him not to lead Nineveh to repentance. Don't you do that. I mean, how dare that you decide? If God's not willing that any should perish, how dare that you decide? Well, maybe not them. I mean, maybe it would cost me something. Maybe it just cost me my time. Maybe it would cost me my social status. Maybe they just annoy me. You know, that's something God has convicted me of before. Like, man, I don't want to talk to that person because they just annoy me. You know? So if God, if I say that kid and God's laying it on your heart, do something tomorrow, tonight. You got text, you can talk to him. Um, but the other one, maybe, you know, that's, that's one, one thing, one Nineveh God might be sharing with you. Let's talk about a more personal one. What about that sin? Yeah, kind of the same thing. I don't know what that sin is for you, but maybe if God's laying something on your heart right now that you're not taking care of, maybe you need to take care of it. Maybe you need to get rid of it. Um, John 8, 34 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth the sin, whoever, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. So what sin are you serving instead of serving God right now? You know, what's, what's God laying on your heart? What is it that you need to get doing? Who are you serving? You need to be obedient. That was a blank, by the way. Sorry. Who are you serving? Be obedient to what God has told you to do. Romans 16, 19. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, in your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So your obedience, people should see it. If you're serving sin, you're not serving God. Jonah was so apart from the will of God that he didn't care if 120,000 people were going to be destroyed. But somehow he cared greatly for this plant that had given him some shade. It wasn't even, living, it wasn't even a living soul. So I've got to ask you, that kid, that sin, whatever, you know, those two examples, there's many more. But what is your, what is your gourd? You know, what is your Nineveh? What is your gourd? What are you trying to serve? What are you trying to serve instead of God? Matthew 6, 24 tells us, No man can serve two masters, for either will he, he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You, can't, you can only have one God. We're made to serve. We're going to serve something, somebody. But, you know, I'll cut to the chase. Let it be God, so you don't have those storms coming at you. What are you concerned about that God is not? Or what is God concerned about that you are not? I mean, that's something we should be asking ourselves every, every day. You know, I, I kind of laugh sometimes when I see the sports because anybody that knows me knows I am a huge sports fan. Matter of fact, was it uh, three years ago that the Cavs won? 
Was it three? I think. We were at Josh's house. Everybody's watching the game like this. You know, they're watching the TV. I'm over here. TV's behind. I'm watching the people because this is interesting. And I, d- I don't want to get sidetracked here, but it was really interesting because when the Cavs did win, all the Cleveland fans literally did not know how to celebrate. <laughs> they just all kind of sat there. Is that it? Did we, did, did we win? Anyways, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, the guy scores the touchdown, and woo, you know, chest bump and pointing. Or so. Do you think God really cares about football or baseball or whatever? So what, what is it that you're concerned about that God isn't? And what is God concerned about that you aren't? I mean, that's, it's not profound because of me. It's profound because of God. That's what he's showing me in Jonah. That's what we see in Jonah, especially chapter four. Um, those are questions we need to ask ourselves. Anyways, what does it take for us to be in the will of God? Because I keep saying obedience, 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 obedience. Great, you know, I'm talking to the people that are here on Wednesday night on their summers, you know. Like, it'd be great if we were packing out this building every night. You know, we're working on that, which, by the way, that kid, start talking to that kid, get that kid here so he can get that kid here, and then that kid will be here, and we need to buy more seats, okay? We need to run out of seats in here. I have a distinct lack of an ability to go get high schoolers in here. Just sharing that with you. Whose job is it? Whose job? I see some of this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, anyways, so I'm talking about obedience. I got sidetracked there. I'm sorry. We're talking about obedience here, but it's not just a matter of strict obedience. That's kind of what the Pharisees did. I don't know if you've heard of them. We're not going there tonight, but they were not cool. Okay, but they were obedient, sort of. <coughs> but yeah, what, what does it take for us to be in the will of God? Is it just obedience? Is it the right man in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing and having the right result? Is that in the will of God? Does that mean good? I'm in the will of God. No, it doesn't. Because Jonah was God's prophet. In the city, God wanted to repent. So he's the right guy. He's, he's the guy God asked to do it. In the right place, eventually, he stumbled on the starting line a little bit. At the right time, before they were destroyed, preaching the right message that they needed to repent, and had the right results. The whole city repented. So, but I ask you, was Jonah in the will of God? Was he doing the will of God? No, he wasn't. Because it's a question of motive. Now, if you have the right motive, the right things are going to happen. But you can go through the motions. As a Christian, you can go through the motions and check all the boxes and do all that stuff and still be apart from the will of God. Because what it really comes down to, and this is the way he set it up from the beginning when he gave us the ability to make our own decisions, when he gave us a free will, he wants us to choose to love him and to choose to serve him. That's why we have a choice, so we can use it for good. So it's a question of motive motive. And at the end of the day, the reason we look at the book of Jonah is because it shows us a lot about ourselves. because Jonah is a type of Christ. I don't know if you're familiar with types and anti-types in the Bible, but basically he's a foreshadowing. He's a picture of Christ. An imperfect one, though, um, because only God's perfect. But he's an imperfect picture of that. He's an imperfect picture of obedience to God's will. And we find, um, we find the type stuff, you know, just in, in the references, but specifically, in Matthew 26, 39, Jesus there, and he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup, this is Jesus talking here, and this cup is 
the wrath and the separation and all the bad stuff that's that's coming when he when he pays sin price when he pays sin's price that's what the cup is representing let this cup pass from me i don't want this nevertheless not as i will but as thou will you know contrast that with maybe jonah and, and i know i'm just ragging on jonah and he's got a book in the bible and i don't okay so he, he's he's actually kind of cool um, but he shows us a lot about himself. Because look at the picture of Jesus here. You know, God gives him his Nineveh, you know, this cup. And he's like, well, I don't want this, God. But if that's what you want, I will do it. You know, I want your will more than I want my will. And he's a picture. And we see this in Romans 5.19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Sorry, that's Jesus there. I should have clarified. That's Jesus there. Adam was the disobedient one who gave us our sin nature. And then because Jesus was obedient to God's will and he was in the will of God, we can be made righteous. And then, sorry, the picture of, Jesus, of Jonah now. Jonah spent three days in the whale on his way to lead a people to repentance and salvation. Jesus spent three days in the heart of the earth so he could lead us to repentance and salvation. Matthew twelve forty, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then Luke 11.30. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. So Jesus is our sign. So when we talk about Jesus here, you know, we, we've been kind of talking about God's will and Jonah and all that stuff, but, but I just want to mention to you, maybe this is completely new for you. Maybe, you, maybe, you, maybe you've never even been here before. I don't know. Um, there's, there's a first act of obedience that God wants from us, that everything else is kind of stacked off of this. And I do not have the verse, because I forgot to put it in there, but it's 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the, on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. We need to believe. God is commanding us to believe. Well, what, what does that mean? You know, maybe, maybe you have no idea what I mean by that. Like, oh yeah, Jesus, I've heard that name before. He's a cool guy carpenter he built stuff no jesus lived a sinless life he's perfect he's the son of god and we need to believe in him not believe that he exists and it's very simple what does that look like what does it look like to give your life to jesus maybe you've heard all these phrases like give your life to jesus believe in jesus believe in your heart all that stuff it's a very simple thing i'll just take you to two verses because uh, they really cut to the heart of it romans 10 9 and 10 and Everybody in this room probably should have this memorized still from camp. So maybe just say it along with me, or it's on the screen behind me. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So it is just that simple. That's where we start, and really everything else after that is still just being obedient and putting what God wants before what you want. Take up the cross and die daily. Make those decisions for obedience. You know, because at the end of the day, he's the one we want to please. Like, I didn't bring it, but, you know, I was thinking, as I'm sitting around working on this message, I've got things that my kids have painted is, is the example I think of. and I think they're the greatest thing in the world. Why? Because my kids wanted to please me. Will you ever look at them and will you ever see the beauty that I see them? No, you'll, you know, whatever. 
I see things that aren't there because it's my child wanting to please me. How do you think God looks at the stuff that you do? Is it the actual result or is it your obedience and you're wanting to please God that that is what he, he sees as beautiful, he sees as worthwhile? You know, it's the motive behind it. So with Jonah, even when his messenger was defiant, God would not allow the people of Nineveh, Nineveh to perish without warning them of coming judgment. So God's going to get his will done. He's going to get the work done. It's up to you whether you join him, you know, the easy way or the hard way, because he's going to do it. Because, you know, like right now, getting saved, we have the choice to bow to God. It's our choice right now. There's coming a day when everyone will bow, and it will not be their choice. So you get, you know, the easy way or the hard way. But back to Jonah. Through his divine power, God was able to reach Jonah first. You know, he gave him that second chance. And then Nineveh to bring them to repentance. Even though he stumbled off the starting line, even though he wasn't, you know, resolute, he was able to be a part of fulfilling God's will. And we, as modern-day Christians, we do well to heed his example. Even, you know, basically what it means is even if you don't fully understand what God is doing, if you understand what he is asking you to do, just do it. Be obedient to God with the right heart attitude. So let's go ahead and pray. God, I just thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for showing me these things. I just pray that we all would take the things that you teach us um, and show us that we could be truly followers of you, Lord, not just say that we are, but that we would, we would seek what you want over what we want. Um, just like Jesus, you know, said, I don't want this cup, but nevertheless, whatever it is that you want, that's what I'll do because I love you. And just as, uh, you know, maybe me personally here as my kids, as they do things to please me, Lord, let us, let us do things to please you, our Father. And I just ask, Lord, that, you know, if there's, there's somebody in here tonight that maybe has a question about something, that you would give them the boldness to seek clarification instead of just kind of running away like Jonah did. Because um, it's, what you have, what you want, those are good things. And those are the things that we should want. And I just ask you to be stirring in our hearts, Lord, with, with that kid or that sin or whatever it is that maybe, maybe needs done or needs stopped, Lord, that you would, you would just make that a strong conviction and that you would show us from your word uh, what we need to do about it. And again, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to read your word, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to speak your word. Um, I just pray that it would be fruitful and grow in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.